because it's a much bigger organization doesn't mean that the dynamics of a family and the baggage that goes along with the kitchen table and the boardroom table being one and the same is uh, common across no matter whether you're three people setting up a business or you're a multi-billion euro a pound dollar whatever empire this mindset of what got you here is not going to get them there that was the voice of Stephen Short who has practical and widespread experience in the development of family businesses. Hello, I'm Chris Biddle and welcome to episode 52 of Inside AgriTurf, in which we will consider succession. Uh, No, Not the TV series about a dysfunctional family dynasty with all the siblings jockeying to take over the business from the strong-willed father who founded the business. No, this is is far more down-to-earth. Virtually all the businesses serving the agriturf sector are family concerns, started initially by enthusiastic entrepreneurs with a love and flair for the industry they serve. Most have already or are currently engaged on deciding who is best suited to take their business forward in an ever-changing world. But before I chat to Stephen, a word about this podcast. First, I'd like to thank you for tuning in, whether this is for the first time, and this podcast is attracting well over 200 new listeners every month, or you listen on a regular basis. Either way, thank you. I've published over 50 episodes since launching Inside AgriTurf uh, just over a year ago, covering topics such as education and training, trade associations, mental health, diversity, robots, merchandising, social media, the future shows, recruitment and, and much, much more. And one thing I've learned is that unlike my days as a print journalist, when you went out to do an interview or cover a story and wrote up the uh, words afterwards, the key to a good podcast is preparation in advance. Finding guests, chatting with them ahead of the recording, research and even more research, so that when it comes to recording, I and my guests have a good idea of the format and content Now, I handle all the production myself, editing of the audio interviews, eliminating ums and ahs and you knows as much as possible, taking out sound glitches, loss of signal, extraneous noises uh, before uploading to my podcast platform, then writing show notes, promoting on social media and so on. Now, don't get me wrong. I love it. I've connected with some fascinating people heard loads of inspirational stories and learned so much in the process. I I never knew podcasting indeed could be so much fun. And it is for this reason that I've decided to publish each new episode fortnightly from now on. Uh, And as I once used that phrase fortnight in the United States to absolutely blank stares, that is, every other week. This will give me more time to plan the production of each episode, often with the inclusion of more than one guest. I will continue to focus on the vital issues facing the AgriTurf community in the company of those at the sharp end of the industry. Now, I look on it as going for quality 
rather than quantity. In the pipeline, I've got episodes on who's got the power, looking at what energy sources might prevail in the future for agricultural and turf machinery. An episode on the right to repair legislation and its impact on dealers. And a new episode of AgriTurf Talk, a roundtable forum with four guests from different corners of the industry talking about the issues of the day. So again, a big thank you for your support. I hope you will press the subscribe button on whichever podcast app you use so that you are notified each time a new episode is published. You will find a complete listing of all the episodes published to date, as well as news on forthcoming episodes on the Inside AgriTurf website, details of which are on the show notes accompanying this episode. And so to my guest today, Stephen Short. Stephen is based in Dublin and runs ETC Consult. He is also the current chairman of the Ireland branch of the Global Entrepreneurs Organization, which operates in over 50 countries. He advises companies large and small on a range of business strategies, and in particular the sometimes difficult and emotive issue of succession in a family business, which often spills over from the boardroom to the dining room and even to the bedroom. So, Stephen, many thanks for joining me. I I mentioned at the outset the fictional infighting portrayed in the Succession TV series, uh, which spilt over into family rows, subterfuge, mental pressures, and even physical altercations. Uh, Now, does any of that uh, sound familiar? Uh, Well, uh, yes, Chris. Uh, Unfortunately, I have. So part of the... the I haven't seen Succession. I haven't been, uh, had the chance to to sit down and, and watch the couple of seasons that have already aired. But unfortunately, from, from what I understand of it, uh, it is fairly commonplace in a lot of organizations because they don't have a couple of things clear as an organization, which means that everybody feels that they're in the right and that they should have the power and they should have the authority. Yes, it features uh, three sons of varying talents and a daughter. Uh, and so the... Uh, sex issue comes into it whether it be the daughter or the sons uh, and so on um, but I, I suppose that may well be replicated in in quite a number of companies is it it is because a lot of people don't have a clear view of what they want to accomplish in the amount of time and there are arguments that say different siblings for different parts of the journey so I have uh, friends of mine in Spain, family business. I, I'm actually friends with the next generation as opposed to the founding generation. Similar setups, like two sons and a daughter. The eldest son doesn't want to have the hassle of running a big company. They, they are a manufacturing company in Spain. He doesn't want to have the headaches of uh, running a big company. The daughter doesn't want to have the headaches of running a big company either, but she uh, is much more of a process-driven individual, and she's very happy to look after uh, the accounts and the legal and the HR side of things, whereas the youngest son is the guy that has the entrepreneurial spirit, wants to grow the company, wants to be building, um, expanding into Latin America and things like that. So there are different stages that, and different strengths that different people can bring to it, depending on what you're actually trying to accomplish. 
I mean, uh, just going briefly back to succession, only just to mention that that is about a global media company. And what we're talking about is much smaller operations. And uh, I guess if you look at the UK, uh, I understand that something like two thirds of all private firms are family businesses and contributing a huge amount to the GDP. Do you have any sort of statistics on the amount of family businesses uh, there are who may well be facing these kind of issues? Uh, Well, I mean, just to point out, just because it's a much bigger organization doesn't mean that the dynamics of a family and the baggage that goes along with the kitchen table and the boardroom table being one and the same is uh, common across, no matter whether you're three people setting up a business or you're a multi-billion euro, a pound, dollar, whatever empire. Um, But I mean, small small businesses, uh, SMEs make up about 80% of most of the world's uh, businesses. And I think I remember seeing about 70 to 75% of SMEs are either family owned or not, not sold off to a larger entity or a group. So they are a huge proportion of businesses across Ireland and the UK. Indeed. And I guess, uh, Stephen, that um, th- this whole question of succession has to be a very long process, doesn't it? It does and it doesn't. I mean, it, if you are looking, if you're thinking of long-term succession planning, then yes, the longer you spend, the earlier you start, the easier it's going to be. But there are times when family businesses face a crisis and uh, unfortunately, the current generation passes away suddenly. And then the next generation have to scramble and figure out how the hell they're going to to keep the, the legacy going. So it can happen very, very quickly. Uh, but in an ideal world, you'd have at least five years of overlap between the current and the next generation. Given that it's a long process, uh, the business owners uh, will have built the business and used their skills to do so. Um, are they generally well equipped to make these kind of decisions uh, that they need to make about succession? And, and indeed, who provides the best advice to them? So well equipped is quite a variable Uh, because one of the key things that I think causes a lot of tension between the generations, especially in terms of succession and and building the business forward, is this mindset of what got you here is not going to get them there. The world changes so fast and it's changing faster and faster. And the, the way that the current generation experienced success, the way that they were able to build the business through blood, sweat and tears and the sweat of their backs to be able to get the business to this point, is admirable. And in the mindset and the perspective of the current generation, that's how it has to be done because that's the way they did it. But the next generation coming up can see other opportunities, other ways of doing things, using different technologies, using different mindsets, or even attacking a completely different market with a similar, with the same kind of product adapted to fit something that the current generation just won't see. So that mismatch between what the current generation sees as the future and what the next generation sees as the future can often lead to the hardest um, conflicts and the strongest conflicts. Again, statistics, and I saw one statistic that uh, uh, 70% of uh, small businesses do have a succession plan, and but 50% of those have concerns about their successor and 60% have concerns about resulting family conflicts. Mm-hmm. Uh, does, does that string strike true? Yeah, I mean, for me, what I see more often than not when it looks like the family is going to break up 
because of the succession planning, the business gets sold and the kids are just given the cash and go, look, go do your own thing. Don't dissolve the family. We'd rather dissolve the business than dissolve the family or sell the family or sell the business than, than get rid of the family. Um, and that, again, really, I think it comes down to um, a lack of openness and a lack of uh, communication between the different generations. Is it, What are we trying to accomplish? Uh, what's the purpose of the business? What what ultimately are we? What evil are we trying to fix in the world? Um, and then pick who's the who's the right person to actually bring this forward. Even if that's bring it forward for the next five years, and then in five years' time we need a different type of leader, and then in ten years' time we might need a different type of leader. And understanding that there are different leadership styles that are going to thrive in different um, scenarios. Um, in the UK, for example, Churchill, uh, renowned as a fantastic wartime leader terrible peacetime leader i mean obviously there's different dynamics within an sme to a, a a global corporation or any type of larger company um who have all the resulting hr on stock i mean it's very much often the seat of the seat of the pants and i'm really uh, not being disparaging to people but uh, there's a lot of adaptability within small businesses how well are they equipped and are there any sort of golden rules when you are approaching or starting to think about this whole issue of uh, succession when any business owner? So I think there's three mindsets that that both generations need to have going into any discussions about succession planning and figuring out how to move through the generations. Um, the first one is, as the current generation, we are the heroes of our own story. So we're the ones on our hero's journey. If you've seen uh, any modern hero story, any modern a piece of literature or fiction where we follow somebody's journey, there is a, a pattern that every hero's journey goes through. The special world is where all of the change happens, where all the turbulence happens. And my argument would be that being an entrepreneur and living in that entrepreneurial lifestyle, that's the special world. Mm-hmm. But what always happens at the end of every hero's journey is they come back out to the previous world, a, a, an improved person. But before they go to that world, they always have a mentor or a sage or some kind of a guide that starts them off on that journey. And what I want is for all of the current generation entrepreneurs to start thinking of themselves not as the hero of their own journey, but as the mentor for the next generation's hero's journey, getting them ready to actually take on the world, go into that special world and be able to do the things with the family business uh, that they need to do. Do, do they always uh, make good mentors? Yes and no. Um, so, yes, uh, I think having the expertise and having the experience of what got us to here um, is really, really important. But the role of a mentor is not uh, to, to tell people what to do. The role of a mentor is to give advice, to help illuminate, look at something from a different perspective, but ultimately understand that it is the mentee's decision to do what they're going to do. And that actually leads on to the second mindset, which is what got us here is not going to get them there. So the mentor has to be able to give all of the information that they can, give all the support, whatever coaching, whatever inspiration that they can possibly give, but they have to understand that the next generation have to roam, that they have to be able to be given the freedom to drive the business on. And even if that's a direction that differs from what the mentor thinks is the best plan, this is the way that it has to go. And this is the way that the, the hero has to be allowed to, to grow. Obviously, small businesses 
differ so much in their outlook and the personnel involved and the mindset of every each one of the, the family members. What about uh, reaching outside? For, how common is it for small businesses to say, look, I don't think this is going to work with the existing family. We need to reach outside, if only to be a, a fulcrum around which the, the, the family members can operate in the future. I'm a, a huge advocate of mentoring and men, and being a mentee and reaching out to people and reaching out to people who might not even be in your industry, but have some knowledge of uh, bridging a gap with technology or some knowledge of bringing a company from 20 people to 300 people, for example. And I, I think people would be surprised at how willing a lot of these people are because they recognize themselves in that in that time and knowing that if they had somebody to even talk to them once a month for an hour to help them with their their struggles how how easier life would have been for them so i'm a big advocate of reaching out to whatever networks you have contacting people and saying look any chance i could meet you for a coffee i'll buy you lunch once a month so as i can just learn from you whether that's in i and having that outside the family is also hugely important and funnily enough it's almost chris as if you'd seen my three mindsets because the third one is getting internal and external development for the next generation. So you can't just have the internal knowledge. You have to bring in stuff from outside. I th- I've always thought it, it um, fairly obvious in over the last, say, decade or two decades, bearing in mind that we have um, entered the, the digital age. Um, now, I operate within a, a traditional business, the agricultural industry, farming industry, uh, and so on, largely male-dominated. Uh, fairly old-fashioned in a way, but in recent years, it has obviously introduced so much more sophistication, both in the machinery and that that it it provides, but also in communication. And uh, my experience is that a lot of uh, offspring have been tempted uh, to come into the family business because of their knowledge of social media, digital technologies, and so on, to help their their father, shall we say, or mother, run the business and and strike out in a in a in a new direction, uh, which they may well not be capable of doing so uh, without these uh, these people. So I I do think that there's good news in a way, Stephen, uh, that uh, a lot of young people have come into their family business, even though they might have initially regarded it as somewhat boring. I absolutely agree. So my previous family business, so I I bought both of my family businesses. I sold one uh, a little while ago, Uh, but the one that I sold that I was in for 12 years was uh, an English language school. So a very traditional teacher at the top of the class, having conversations. It was modern techniques, but it was a very old school way of doing things. And when I came in, uh, I wanted to, to add new elements to it, being social media marketing, being able to get to the consumer, being able to use more technology in the classroom, to be able to use virtual, to be able to use uh, video and all this kind of stuff. And we played around with an awful lot of that and increased the offering and increased what students got. We were still a traditional business in that people came to the country to learn English with our teachers, but we had an awful lot of online classes. We had some uh, pre-arrival stuff. We had uh, video tutorials, video testimonials. We were playing around with live, like hybrid kind of classrooms to see what we could do with it. Um, so there's different things and there will always be ways to innovate absolutely everything. Um, and having the next generation come in with fresh ideas and stuff that they've grown up with outside of the business 
and be able to implement that can only help. Uh, yes, because it's a certainly a truism that uh, pretty well everybody uh, under the age of 30 has only grown up in the digital age. Yeah. And uh, uh, so the rest of us have had you... to do a big catch up. So people who are listening to this on audio don't have the video. They won't be able to, to see this. But if I describe it, if I was to ask you, how would you mime being on the telephone? You would probably lift your hand to your face with your little finger out and your thumb up to your ear and have that as a handset. If you ask somebody under the age of 20 how they would mime somebody being on the phone, they would have a flat hand to their face because that's what's holding up their iPhone. So yes. even the gesture of being on the phone has changed so much. The technology has gone on so much from when we were uh, using this technology on a daily basis. So things change and you actually have to be in that generation to be able to understand how the growth is going to happen. I have a I have a saying that uh, really in support of face-to-face uh, -face conferences, shows, exhibitions, or whatever, um, that you can't fax uh, a handshake. Now, I think most of the people under, under 30 wouldn't know what the heck I was thinking of or talking of when I mentioned the word fax, even less when I grew up uh, using the word telex. But, uh, yeah. but, but they won't really know what you're talking about. So maybe it is ought to be you can't tweet a handshake, but um, that's, just, that's just where we are now, isn't it? Well, an, an emoji handshake is not the same as the real thing. No, it's absolutely right. So just to, just to go back over your three golden rules, can you just summarize those for me again? So, yeah, the first one is for the current generation to think about going from hero of their story to mentor of the next hero's journey. Because the second one is what got you here won't get them there. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is really for the next generation, which is you have to make sure you get internal and external development. Learn from the company, but learn outside the company as well. Yeah. Does that always mean considering an, uh, a, an outsider for, for the successor? And uh, obviously, it No, absolutely not. No. Uh, there, are, there are plenty of companies who now, especially the larger family businesses who are growing in Europe, um, and uh, they do this a lot in the States with the bigger family businesses that are multi-state, where if you want to join the family business, you have two options. One, you come in straight away and you start at the absolute bottom and you work your way up the same as everybody else. Or two, you go outside for a minimum of five years and you work your way up in somebody else's company. Mm -hmm. And then you come in at that level. You don't get to come into the family business as the, the marketing manager, or the marketing director, just because you know how to use Instagram. You have to have done the planning and done the research and be able to actually sell before you can come in as marketing manager at, at your family firm as well. Uh, and, and so you're in this community of entrepreneurs. Do their stories often knock your socks off, if shall I say, in terms of their achievements? I mean, is there, are there golden rules for being an entrepreneur? Um, well, I mean, I think one of the things that I've found through EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization, and there's 16,000 members, I've only met a, a fraction of those. Yeah, sure. I love meeting these people. There is no... So I'm a personality profiler. So I'm interested in, in personality and what different personalities, uh, types, how they behave. There are a lot of like type A kind of go and get it, uh, big brash entrepreneurs. There are plenty of intro introverted entrepreneurs. There are plenty of process-driven entrepreneurs. So there is no one entrepreneurial type. There's it's no identification. No. No. But there is, the common thing is just, I don't know if I can swear on your podcast, but just effing do it. Yes. Just do it because you can plan everything. You can 
plan every single step of the way. But if you don't take the first step, you're never going to implement anything. So start small and just do it is the only thing. And is there a common mistake you come across or, or set of mistakes? I suppose from a general entrepreneurial thing, it's maybe not doing enough research beforehand. One of the things that I, I kind of rail against is this idea of uh, do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I think that's a lot of rubbish because as soon as you start working on it, you're going to stop loving it and you're going to yes. stop enjoying it and you're going to kill your hobby. The best advice I ever heard for an entrepreneur is to find a problem in the world that really annoys you and fix it because there will always be instances of that problem. You'll constantly have work and you'll have something to actually aim at. I noticed one of your uh, presentations was actually called building a killer family business without killing your, your family. Um, how real a, um, a danger is that uh, family conflicts as a result of discussions over succession? So the reason that this whole topic is so important to me is about 14 years ago, no, 10 years ago, uh, when my youngest daughter was born, not my eldest, I came home one day and I'd been arguing with my folks for weeks about courses we should be offering, products and services and things like that. And I was just drained completely. And I slumped down at the kitchen table and I said to my wife, for the first time I said it out loud, I'm going to have to leave the family business because if I don't, my parents are never going to see their grandchildren because we're going to hate each other and we won't be able to be in the same room together. Mm. And every fiber of my being viscerally reacted to that. And I knew that that was the last thing I wanted. That's when I went on this journey to, to figure out these, what I now call the five P's of succession planning. So the, the steps to, to, that you need to put in place in order to have a successful succession. And now having worked through that, I'm not going to say overnight, click a magic light went off i mean we had to work on we had conversations uh, we had to understand the strengths and the weaknesses of each person being able to to see what the ultimate vision was but now uh, not only are we a multi-generational business uh, but we're a multi-generational household so we actually live together my parents live downstairs we live upstairs so we have a shared house with two kitchens two living rooms and all the rest of it but not only are we able to have dinner together uh, on occasion, we are actually able to live together because we understand the nuances that need to happen between a family business and a family. I, I've seen some blogs recently that uh, suggested that, uh, particularly for a lot of owners of businesses, life is getting very hard for them at the moment. There's, it, it's particularly difficult. I mean, they often went into the business um, because of their love of the, the particular business that they're mm -hmm. now in, engaged in. But um, the, the recent months won't have helped. But certainly, it seems to me that the attitude of, uh, let's say, customers and end users uh, is getting more polarized these days. And, and that's something that is often difficult to, to, to deal with. Have you had any experiences? Do you think that's that's the case these days? During the lockdown, I did watch this uh, Netflix show a documentary called The Social Dilemma, oh, yes. uh, which was about uh, echo chambers and things like that. And I do feel that there is a little bit of that, that uh, a lot of people are less and less interested in what opposing points of view have to say, and they're more interested in just what's their point of view. And I mean, that can only lead to conflict if you're not open to other people's ideas. And again, we see this in family businesses all the time. The current generation have one way of doing it, and that's the only way that is possible. The next generation think that's completely outdated and we're going to die in six months' time if you don't change this. And both are 
not not unwilling to listen to each other, but they don't have the framework to be able to see the world from each other's point of view. They're only looking at it from their point of view and their way is the right way. So when we start to put up barriers and blinkers and only look at the things as they make sense to us and only look at things that reinforce our own point of view, it, it's only going to drive us further and further apart. Might I just sort of conclude by asking you about your own personal mentors or, or uh, business heroes or indeed a, a go-to phrase, business quote or saying that you might have pinned up behind the loo door or whatever? Uh, anything uh, come to mind? Well, I, to, to be perfectly honest, my two greatest business mentors are my parents, who yeah. I've worked with and continue to work with. Um, I still talk to them on a regular basis about aspects of the business. But I do have mentors within the entrepreneurs organization, other people that I meet on a regular basis to bounce ideas off or to to share experiences. Um, and there's two quotes. I actually have one printed over there behind my desk, and I have another one on my on my bookshelf here. The first one is, um, an idea that is not dangerous is unworthy of being called an idea at all, which is Oscar Wilde. And then there's the Michelangelo. It's the the, the smallest, the shortest quote, but uh, for me, it's it, very prevalent, which is I'm still learning because I think, I mean, I, I was not a fan of formal education. I've spent my entire adult life in education. So while I'm not a fan of formal learning, I am a lifelong learner. And I do think it's important to keep learning about different things and keep exploring. Uh, so for me, that's uh, they're, they're two very important quotes. Indeed, we should never stop learning. Well, look, Stephen, I do really thank you for your time uh, today. Most interesting. Uh, it will be a topic that will exercise uh, the time and uh, of a lot of uh, business owners as, as we go through the years and has already, of course. Uh, but might I thank you very much indeed. It's been most entertaining and uh, instructional. My pleasure, Chris. Thanks very much. My thanks then to Stephen Short uh, for advice to all small business owners looking to ensure that their legacy, their business, their future is in safe hands. His advice comes from personal experience. And I suppose the key message is that whatever got us to here is unlikely to get them there. There is no dealership for dummies handbook. Family business setups are all unique, all different. But hopefully Stephen's advice will provide some clarity on the succession process. I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is Inside Agriturf. Thank you.